second installment of Saving Mason by Casey Rose. We are going to give that to you in just a few minutes, but before then, we're going to catch up. I wanted to, I've got a couple things to talk about. Um, one of them is my birthday was this past weekend. I got beautiful flowers from Melissa King. It was awesome. They're still in my dining room. They're gorgeous. All flowers. I love them. They're so great. I send those the, too. With the thing with farm girl flowers, you can't do them last second. You have to nope. do, they're not like 2,800 <laughs> no. flowers and you can do it like two days before you have to plan in advance and they're not fucking mm-hmm. And even if like I wanted to go and make a change on your order, like literally five seconds after I made it, they wouldn't let me. They're like, it's too late. It's processing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I go. like them because they do like seasonal flowers too. Mm-hmm. They don't do where like, oh, you just get this all year long. It's like, no, you have this section. This is what you can choose from. But I like yeah. that. So. But, um, so this past weekend, my husband kept asking me, he was like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I just want to say this, this annoys me because one thing, and and I realized this because I was watching an interview with Julia Louise Dreyfus. She's the one that played, um, Elaine on Seinfeld. Do you know who she is? Mm -hmm. The actress, she played Veep. So she got cancer. Terrible dancer. Mm -hmm. Yes. So she got cancer and she was going through the cancer treatments and she said, you know, the worst part of it, she said, when people would tell me, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And she was like, so that put it on me that I'm supposed to let them know what they can do for me. She's like, I'm fucking going through cancer. You figure out what the fuck you can do for me. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, you know what? This bitch has a point. point. So, you know, really good point. Well, my husband was asking me, what do you want? And I, I'm not comparing this to cancer in any way, but I just I mean, the sentiment is very similar when he's like, what do you want to do for your birthday? What do you want to do? I don't want to fucking pick. It's my birthday. What do you want to do for me for my, it's my fucking birthday. You figure it out. But I kept telling him, I was like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to chill out. I want to stay in my PJs. I said, I don't want to work and I don't want to have to take care of anybody. That, that to me is the best day ever when I don't have to do shit. So it was really nice. Like, um, he's actually changed his schedule at work to where he works, um, four days a week, 10 hours a day. And he has off every Friday now. Nice. So, so the city. Well, not nice. No, it's nice. It's great. So <laughs> She's like, right now it's nice. We'll see. No, we'll it's see. great, it's actually. Because it's like, with the kids home this summer, it's kind of nice that on a Friday I can just leave and I can get a break and, you know, from the house and from the kids or whatever. But, um, yeah, so he works for, you know, city government and they, you know, are notorious about not having money. And they had asked um, all the department heads, they were like, can you come up with a way to compensate our employees non-monetarily? Which, first of all, is just fucked up. But they just don't have, and they don't have a way to be competitive right now with, you know, they're only allowed to pay so much as a government job. There's like a, there's a list of like, there, yeah, Yeah. there's like a, a range of pay and that's it. They can't adjust it. And so they were like, we have to come up with a way to incentivize our employees to stay, to have retention. And they were like, guys, just bring us some ideas. We'll hear everything. And that Kevin was like, uh, I think we should go to a four day work week. And they were like, you know what? That's a great idea. It is. So, it's a brilliant idea. So he got together with his team and half to have off every Friday and half have off every Monday. And so it was like, so somebody's there all the time, but it's like, yeah. and nobody even cared. They were like, we'll take whatever day. We don't care. We get out four day work week. This is awesome. So it's been going on through June and so far it's a great. So anyway, so he was home on Friday and, um, you know, they, they did some stuff around the house and it was great. And then Saturday, um, I was here and like, I woke up and like my oldest one made me pancakes and it was so sweet. And like, I'll, I was in my pajamas all day. And then it was like eight o'clock that night. I was like, you know what? Let's go get Mexican. And so I put on some clothes and we went out and we got some tacos and it was so great. Like I didn't do anything, you know? And like he had gotten me a cake at this really nice bakery, which of course is my favorite thing. So I had that, but like, I mean, it was, it was, 
it was a really cool weekend. It was a great day. So you know what it made me think of when you were talking about they were like, well, we can't give them pay increases. What yes. can we give them? Mm-hmm. It actually reminded me mm-hmm. of something that I had come to a realization, especially me and my dad were talking about it. And I was like, the older generation thinks that the younger generation is lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was watching some skit and it was like an epiphany moment for me when the person was like, no, we're not lazy. We're just not willing to put up with the bullshit anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah. He said, because, and then a woman was on there. They were like, this woman had five kids, worked three jobs, came home, cleaned her house, cooked. Mm -hmm. And somebody's like, that's, while that woman is mind blowing. That's a fucking victim. Yeah, absolutely. That the system failed her enough to where she had that many kids and still had had to work that many jobs and be away from home and her children and every like. Yeah, yeah that's fucking. I just thought it was interesting because he was like, "That's the, not a story of victory." Like, you don't leave marriages. You stay in these jobs for thirty years. Why this generation is like, no, fuck yeah. you. Yeah, I'm you're not gonna, gonna treat be us better, or we're getting the fuck out, or I'm out of here. Yep. Which I was like, I, I don't think that's lazy. That's- no, I don't think so at all. To, the bare minimum is to treat me with respect. Like, yeah. I, I just don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that is one thing that I love is evolving in the workforce is that yeah. there is a demand for better and yeah. it, it should be, it should be better. And so like one of their big things that the city was like, they weren't going to do a cost of living increase. They were like, we inflation's so bad. We can't. And Kevin was like in this meeting with all these department heads, he's laughing. He's like, you think you can, he's he's like, we're going to lose everybody. He's like, you guys are stupid. And he's like, inflation is so high and you're saying you can't pay it. He was like, how the fuck do you think people are paying their bills? And so like he was in there and so they ended up like they, they came back and they talked to like city council and they ended up giving like everybody a 7% cost of living increase, which I think was good because Kevin actually sent them, excuse me, he sent them articles and he's like, there, there are being articles being written where it's like, if you're not getting over 6% of a cost of living increase, you're losing money at your job. You need to quit. Because it's like your job is not keeping up with inflation. And if they can't pay you that, that that's not where you need to be. And I know it's not as easy as like, oh, just quit, find another job. But oh, this yeah. really is an employee's market right now for as it far is. as like demanding what you want, you know? Yeah. Because there are the there are opportunities out there for people who have the skills to fill those jobs. So I don't know. I'm just looking at it from a government perspective and the city jobs that are here and that are open right now, like we have an assistant city manager position that's been open for a year and a half. And it's a it's a good paying job. And I asked Kevin, I was like, why is this job still vacant? He was like, he was like, because the pay is not enough. He was like, mm-hmm. it's not a bad pay for somebody that's like, oh, uh, you know, an administrative assistant. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a lot of money. He was like, but what is required of that job to be an assistant city manager? He's like, this person's going to work 80 hours a week. He's like, they yeah. would have to double that salary to get a decent person in there. He was like, which is why it has to happen. So, yeah, it's like. Well, they're saying if a, if, if a position is running for that long without it, with somebody mm-hmm. filling it, then somebody should be promoted within. Yeah. Well, that was just it. They interviewed people from within and they were just like, ah, oh, not a good fit. So it was like, <laughs> it wasn't even that though. That's the thing is like the people that were within made more money than this job. And I think they oh didn't want to pay it. I think they didn't mm-hmm. want to pay more money to fill it. And they were just like, yeah. no, we'll wait it out. Sure, guys. Sure. <laughs> wait it out. Yeah. See how that goes. So I don't know. But anyways, it, I just thought that was like a really interesting thing that they're doing now with the four day work week. And they had a guy that is actually he's commuting from an hour away. And he was like, you know, I was skeptical about taking this job. He was like, but that was absolutely what sealed the deal. He said, knowing that I have off every Friday, he's like, are you kidding me? He said, it made all the difference. And I was like, yeah, that would have made a huge difference for me too when I was in the corporate world. Um, Especially if you're uh, the gas prices right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the same thing I said. I was like, Jesus, tell me he's got a hybrid. You know, I have to go to Arkansas this weekend for- um, Why? 
for a wedding. Oh, for a wedding. That's right. Who's getting married? I don't know. Have you ever heard of me talk about Seth? Rob's friend Seth. He comes and stays here usually two or three times a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He's getting married. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, we're going to go down there. Is everybody going or just you and Rob? Everybody said they wanted to go. We gave the kids the options. You can come and they all said they wanted to come. Well, that's so fine. You're making a big trip out of it. But my, I'm talking to my dad and he's like, he's like, you know, it would probably be cheaper for you to rent a car than to drive one of yours. You got like, that what? right. You're absolutely I was right. Like, I started like mathematically doing it, the math in my head. I was mm-hmm. like, it's going to cost us like six, seven hundred dollars in gas to make this trip. And he's like, yep, I bet you can rent a car for like four. Yep, and then I bet you can. Fill that thing up for $40. <laughs> yep, get you something with some gas mileage. Hell, you could probably take a fucking camper <laughs> for cheaper than you could your car. <laughs> I was like, I hadn't even thought of that. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, I've listened to a book recently and it's a little heavy, but I wanted to mention it in case anybody needs something a little outside the romance genre, because I don't know what's going on with me lately, but I've just been in a funk with romance. I've tried a couple of books, nothing stuck. So I actually had this recommended to me by Abby Knox the other day and it's called Unbound. It's by Tarana Burke. And if you don't know who she is, she was the one that started the Me Too movement and she is fantastic there is a lot of trigger warnings at the beginning of this book because she talks about her childhood and how she was sexually abused and what sort of led her down the path that she ended up on inevitably so it is so powerful but so beautifully written about her relationship with her mother and how complicated it is and really like the nuances of being a young black girl in new york and, you know, this time frame, and it's just learning about her life has been like it, it's been really eye opening and understanding about, you know, how she came to be and the work that she has put in the good work in her community and, you know, like everything she's done. She's just fantastic. And the influences that, you know, really stuck with her along the way with like Maya Angelou and her words and how they resonated with her in different ways. and. It's fun, too, because she talks about the music of that time, which, I mean, she's not that much older than me. So, like, I kind of, like, understood a lot of the references that she was talking about. And so, um, yeah, it just, uh, it, it starts off, like, the very opening is, like, she wakes up and her phone is going off and there's all these alerts. And she was like, what is this? And it's all these people using the hashtag me, too. And she was like, what? Because she had worked for years on this movement like that she had sort of protected it she had written this um i think this not an article but uh i forget like the proper terminology for like a paper basically where she had written all these things about me too and uh, what this can do to us and how we can you know support each other and lift each other up just with this you know sort of discussion but she said you know her intention was to talk about me too and also have the support there for people that needed it when they were able to discuss it, to have those, you know, counselors and mental health people ready and have those people available so that when someone came forward with their story, there would be a, you know, a cushion around them to have that space to do it. But what happened was, is I think it was Alyssa Milano started this on Twitter And that's kind of where it came from. And so she was devastated because she was like, are you telling me this thing that I've worked on for, you know, 10 years or however long it was, she's like, this is about to be co-opted by a white woman, by like this white lady on Twitter is about to take my entire thing that I've done and turn it into this. And so it was like, That's how the book starts. And it was just like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't know any of this. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Because I've done a little reading on the Me Too movement recently, Uh like, after the time. Yeah. Does she get really mad about the Me Too movement and how it's handled? No. Well, I've got two hours left in this audio. And it's like, uh, I want to say, maybe it's like a 10 hour. It might might be with with a pal. Six hours. Because when you said that. Mm-hmm. That Alyssa Milano took some of the reins of that, yeah. and the reins weren't taken very well. 
Yeah, yeah. They weren't taking so, with the solidarity or the hardship they should have. People were getting a little wild. Yeah. So I haven't gotten to what her, what that comes after that. But she does say in the beginning, you know, when she finds out that this is an alert, one of her friends shared her article and was like, hey, this is the person who started this. And, and then she even told her friend to take it down. She was like, take it down. I don't want to draw any more attention to this, but it was too late. Like that ship had sailed. Like the hashtag was way overboard. And so she was like devastated. But then she just realized like, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than an article. This is bigger than all of us. And so she was like, she said, you know, I had been humbled many times in my life to where it was like, this isn't just mine. She was like, even though it happened to me and this is my story and my work, it doesn't mean that it can't be shared. So it was, you know, that's kind of how like the story kicks off. And then she goes back to her childhood and discusses her life and how she gets into college and, and, you know, the work that she does there with her, I can't remember the name of the nonprofit she worked for. Oh my God. But it's a fantastic read. If you, I, I think she was actually one of the speakers at the women's March when we were there. And because I watched an interview with her on the daily show and I was like, I think I've seen her speak. And so I'd have to go back and see it because we were like where we were watching the women's March was like, we were, we were behind them. Yeah. We were behind the stage and to like, well, they were, they were sort of off to the side, but we had like a screen that was also half obscured. So it was like, we're kind of just listening more than anything. We were at the women's march. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see like how that worked out, but yeah, it's called unbound by Tarana Burke. And she is just, she's an incredible writer, like just fantastic. And the, like I said, the, the story in the beginning is really difficult to listen to, but I think it's also important to show you where she comes from. And there's one thing that I really, really respect about her when I was reading it. She talked about a moment when she was in high school where she beat up this girl. She bullied her and beat her up. And she was like, and I felt so bad afterwards. And she was like, and I still carry that guilt with me. And it was like, she understood now what Tarana at, you know, 13 didn't, you know, like the only thing, there's some stories like that, that she tells that there's no resolution to. But that's, you know, that's growing as a woman, you know, that's growing as a person. And just hearing about this incredible black woman and her experience and all that she's given, she's given her entire life to this. You know, she's dedicated her life to this work and it's just so powerful and really beautiful. And I've just, I mean, Abby Knox told me, she was like, you need to, you'll love this. You need to read this book. And she's absolutely right. And it's narrated by Tarana Burke as well. And so hearing her own words and her own voice has just been amazing. And I've just, it's a difficult read in the beginning, but as it goes, I just feel really inspired and just in awe of her. So yeah, yeah, that's one to recommend. (laughs) <laughs> so audible had like a buy two get get one or whatever it was so I like, shit after that one <laughs> no. so I, oh i i will recommend this stand-up thing i just watched it just came up on netflix oh which one the pete davison and best friends oh okay pete, it, it just popped i died i, I think love pete davison one- I think there was maybe one comedian that was just like, ha ha, but mm-hmm. the rest were like, I was dying. Especially <laughs> the, there's one woman, she killed me and I'm going to look her up actually. Yeah. But all of the comedians did a great job. Like I, I watched- laughed through the whole thing. It's only like an hour and 10 minutes long. So it's the it Pete was- Davidson one. Okay. I saw a Bill Burr one the other day on Netflix and it, that must be something Netflix is releasing right uh-huh. now because Bill Burr had, it was Bill Burr and friends and he had like five other comedians with him too. Mm-hmm. And then David Letterman had one where there was like five comedians with him. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So they just all came out like Pete introduces it and he does. Okay. That's kind of fun and though. Then- so they each are up there like for like 12 minutes and they oh, okay. shift in and out. Yeah. So you get really great. Like it's a 12 uh-huh. minute. I can't imagine doing a 12 minute set as a really great comedian. You're yeah, going to like yeah. land uh-huh. some good ones. Yeah. That's and they you're going to have the best do. of the best in there. And of course, everybody has been waiting for the, because Pete Davidson doesn't do social media. So this is the first time yep. he's on stage 
mm-hmm. since the whole Kanye thing. Yep. So we're all like, <laughs> what's here we go? Say? <laughs> here we go. Batter up. <laughs> and he does some good singers, but they're not like terrible. Yeah. They're just okay, good. Funny. Good. <laughs> all right. Let's. I'll have to check that. I, I love Pete Davidson. He's great. Um, okay. So. Let's talk about Casey Rose for just a second before we play the second installment. Make sure you check out this whole entire series. It's the Oakside Military Heroes. That's the first book in it is Saving Noah and it's free and it's in Kindle Unlimited. Is that right? No, just free. Oh, it's just free. Okay. Oh, sorry. The other one was in KU. Sorry. This uh, Stalking His Obsession, Ex-Boyfriend's Dad, Age Gap Romance. That's the Filthy Dirty Desires book one. Um, that one's 99 cents and NKU. So make sure you grab those too. Um, and enter this week's giveaway. We'll have all the good stuff on our social medias and also in the show notes. Mel's going to throw it down there. So I think that's awesome. it. <laughs> all right. Let's send them in. All right. We'll see you on the other side. Chapter four Mason. Noah asked me to have lunch with him today, and I agreed mostly because he offered to order something from town instead of the healthy food they serve. The food here is good, but I'd do just about anything for a big greasy burger. Noah brings the food to my room and sets it up. He's quiet as we start to dig in. After a few bites, he speaks. So, Paige? At the mention of her name, I'm fighting a smile. I still can't believe she's here. How did you two meet? I give him a short, clean version of the night before I left for deployment and tell him about the letters we exchanged for months after. But how can it be more than friends? I can't even walk. I hold my arms up to show off the wheelchair. Have you heard how Lexi and I met? Noah asks. I shake my head, and he just smiles. My unit was on patrol, and we were hit by an IED. I saved her brother who lost part of his leg and in return was gifted these scars. He rolls up his right sleeve to show me the scars marring his arm. They go from my foot all the way to my face on my right side, Noah says, his expression haunted as he points to visible scars on his neck and face. I was in the hospital in Germany next to her brother. When she got there, I was bandaged and in pain. My then-fiancé came in and broke it off, telling me how the scars would ruin her wedding photos. My jaw drops. We worry people will react that way behind our backs, but to say it to our faces, I can't imagine. Lexi told her off, then sat by my bedside for weeks and talked to me, even when I was drugged up on pain medication. She fell in love with me in the hospital before I had the plastic surgery, when the visible scars were much worse than this, when I was at my worst. I don't know what to say to him, so I figure it's best to say nothing. You may not walk now, but you will. I met Lexi in the least romantic way, and from the looks of it, you met your soulmate in the most unconventional way. Who cares how you met? Just that you did. He stands and pats my shoulder. As he turns to leave, we see Paige standing there in the doorway. Noah leaves, and neither of us moves. We just stare at each other. Needing some space to think, I wheel myself over to the window, avoiding her gaze. Maybe you should go, but come back tomorrow? I'll be back tomorrow, she promises, placing a letter on the coffee table. I wrote this for you. With that, she leaves. Mason, we've been talking via letter for months, and I feel weird not to have that, so I thought I'd write to tell you why I came today. I'm here because no one should fight this battle alone. I'm here because at the very least, I'm your friend, even if you don't want anything more than that. My feelings for you have grown with each letter, and being here and seeing you face to face again, my feelings for you are even stronger. Even if you don't want me that way, I will be here. I will be by your side as you fight. You aren't alone. XOXO. Paige. I'm just finishing breakfast the next day when Paige shows up. My heart races at the sight of her, and she looks at me hesitantly. All last night, I went back and forth on what to do. 
but in the end, it was no contest. Well, if you are staying, I guess I should take you on a proper date. At my words, her smile lights up her beautiful face, and she relaxes as she takes the seat across from me. What did you have in mind? Right now, the best I can offer is lunch here in the dining room, but I'll let you choose the dessert. I wink to lighten the mood. We chat for a while until I head off to my doctor's appointment, and Paige goes to help Lexi at the front desk. There's a lot of going through the motions in my PT sessions, so I have time to think about all our letters and everything we've shared over recent months. I can't wait to see her again. And for the first time, I finally feel like I have someone to come home to. Paige's feelings aren't one-sided, and I want to make sure she knows that. The day passes, and we don't get a chance to see each other again until our date. I miss our letters, too. I tell Paige once we're sitting in the back corner by the window. I pull out the letter I wrote to her last night and hand it to her. The letter isn't anything deep, just me letting her know I think the letters are our thing, and I don't want to lose that connection. We talk about our friends, her school, and the plans she's made with Lexi. I'm thankful she avoids anything to do with my deployment and injury. This becomes our norm for the next two weeks. We lunch together and spend the afternoons with each other. Everyone comments on how much happier I look, and I feel it, too. I'm now walking short distances, very short distances, as in a few steps. We don't discuss how she's due to head home in just a few weeks or my deployment, two topics we avoid. Tonight is one of those times I try not to think about it and simply enjoy Paige in my arms. We had dinner together on the back porch, then came back to my room to watch a movie on TV. She's pressed to my side with my arm over her shoulders and her arm around my waist. I have no idea what's on TV because I'm so turned on. I've been fighting a hard-on for the last hour. Every time she shifts, her skirt rides up enough to give me a tantalizing view of her legs, and it's driving me insane. As if sensing my gaze, she looks up at me, and we lock eyes for a moment before I lean down to kiss her. The minute her lips land on mine, there's no more hiding how hard I am. If her little moans are anything to go by, she feels the same way. In one quick movement, I pull her sideways onto my lap without breaking the kiss. Since our one and only night together, I've been craving her, and that hunger is too strong to fight anymore. As she wraps her arms around my neck, I spread her legs and slowly trace my fingers up her inner thigh until I get to her panties. You're soaking wet, sweetheart, I whisper and pull her panties to the side. I always seem to be around you, she murmurs. Running a finger through her soaked folds, I roll over her swollen clit. Every night in the desert, I dreamed of watching you come. I can't wait a moment longer to see it again, only this time in person. Paige sighs at my words, and her soft body melts into me. She spreads her legs wider, and I continue to play with her nub. When I pinch and tug at her clit, she lets out a sexy little whimper and becomes even wetter. I thrust two fingers into her and find the spot I know will push her over the edge. Her body tenses, and she turns her head into my neck and bites the skin to quiet her moans as her orgasm hits her. Her pussy clamps down on my fingers like a vice, and I continue to draw out her orgasm until her body finally relaxes. When I reluctantly pull my fingers from her, I lick them clean. Paige is watching me with a satisfied smile, her cheeks flushed. Your turn. She starts to stand up. Not tonight. I got what I wanted already. Chapter 5 Paige I'm so excited because Mason gets to ditch the wheelchair for good today. He's been working hard for weeks. So long as he sits when he gets tired, he's been given permission to walk the grounds. He's even allowed to go into town for a few hours at a time. To celebrate, I'm taking him to dinner. I went out with Lexi today and bought a new dress just for our date. 
It's still a bit of a shock seeing Mason walk into his room, but standing in front of me is the man I remember from our night before he left. He's happy and smiling and no longer carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. You look stunning, he says as his eyes roam over my body. Get dressed. I'm taking you out to dinner, I say with a grin. Mason beams, and in no time at all, we're in my car, heading down the long oakside driveway. Can we open the windows? I want to enjoy my few hours of freedom, he says. I roll them down, which doesn't allow us time to talk, but he does hold my hand the whole way. Dinner flies by, and Mason is a perfect gentleman, opening my door and pulling out my chair. By the time we finish dinner, he's shifting uncomfortably in his chair. It's been a long day, and although I doubt he'll admit it, I'm sure he must be sore and ready to go back. Would you like dessert? Our waiter asks. Mason looks at me questioningly. I'm so full, I think I'll pass, I reply. Come on, get something. They have chocolate cake, and I know it's your favorite, he says. I couldn't eat another bite if I tried. I smile. Even though he doesn't seem to believe me, he drops it. By the time we get back to Oakside, Mason is walking slowly. I don't mention it. I simply enjoy my arm in his. Will you come inside and lay down with me? He asks when we're in the hallway. There's no way I'm turning down that offer. Locking the door behind us, we lose no time cuddling on his bed. The moment I lay down... He pulls me to his side, and I rest my head on his rock-hard chest. He holds me tight like he's worried I might run. We lay there without talking as he runs his hand up and down my back. It's so calming and relaxing that I'm worried I might drift to sleep. I'm glad you're here, he says, breaking the silence. I look up at him and smile. Me too. He leans down and kisses me. At first, it's slow and simmering, but quickly becomes passionate. My pulse quickens when he flips me onto my back and braces himself over me. Locking his eyes with mine, we stare at each other for a minute. He fists a hand in my hair as his lips meet mine in a soft, tender kiss. I haven't had you since that night, and I can't think of anything else. My body feels like it's on fire. I've been trying to suppress how he makes me feel, but there's no more holding it back once he admits it. Glad it's not just me. I shift under him, and his hard cock rubs along my core, making me even wetter. My guttural moan fills the room. I couldn't have stopped it if I tried. His hand slides under my shirt, and I pull it off. I want to experience his rough hands on my bare skin again, to feel his touch. I don't want anything between us, just us, skin to skin. I reach for the hem of his shirt. You have on too many clothes. <laughs> Mason freezes. Have I read this all wrong? What's wrong? It's just, I have a few more scars than the last time you saw me. He says it so quietly that I wouldn't have heard him if the room weren't silent. Show me. He hesitates for only a moment before he pulls his shirt off. I take a minute to enjoy his ridged abs and taut muscles. But sure enough, there are small scars across his chest. I trace each one lovingly before smiling up at him with tears in my eyes. He removes my shorts and panties as he gently kisses my body, leaving a trail of fire in his wake. Before he has time to stop me, I wrap my legs around his waist, and he allows me to flip him onto his back. His eyes go wide but hunger replaces the shock when I remove my bra. I go for his pants, and he stops me. Mason, I don't care about the scars. I get that the one on your leg is the worst, but it proves you were stronger than what tried to kill you, and you're here with me today because of it. If the situation were reversed, would you walk away because I was carrying battle scars? Hell no. His voice has an edge of anger to it. I raise my eyebrow as if to say, well, he sighs and helps me remove his pants and boxers. The scar isn't as bad as I expected. It's on his upper thigh, but you can tell the cut went deep. 
There's a good chance no one will ever see it in shorts, and I like the idea that he and I will be the only ones who know it's there. A sexy little secret between us. He reaches for a condom on the nightstand and puts it on. Then he tries to flip me back over, but I stop him. That night, we had amazing sex everywhere in my house, but I never got to be on top. So sit back and let me have my fun this time. I place a hand on the center of his chest and push him back down on the bed as I move over his hips. He watches my every move as he shoves himself at my entrance. I pause to soak in every detail before slowly sliding down his delicious girth. His hands fly to my hips and hold on tight as I set a slow, steady rhythm, enjoying the sensation of his cock buried in my pussy. I can't believe we didn't get to this position that night. Watching me slide in and out of you is sexy as hell, he says, his eyes glued to where we're connected. And being in control is a bit of a turn-on, I smirk, increasing my pace. Mason throws his head back and moans. Oh, I'm not going to last if you keep this up, he groans and grips my hips tighter, trying to slow me down. Leaning down, I whisper in his ear, telling him how good he feels. That tiny movement changes my position, causing him to drag over my G-spot with every thrust. As his cock grinds into me, my body tightens. Every nerve feels like a live wire as he rubs my clit, and I explode. He draws out my orgasm before allowing his to take over. Watching this man fall apart because of me is indescribable. Mason pulls me to his chest and holds me tight as we catch our breath. Give me a few minutes, and we are doing that again, he chuckles. It's official. This man is trying to kill me. Chapter 6 Mason It was all for nothing. I've worked so damn hard for nothing. While I have a few scars, at least I'm up and walking and will be back up to over 90% in a few weeks. That isn't good enough. It's not fast enough. Disabled. That's what the military labeled me. I'm no longer on active duty, but I'm now a disabled veteran. Medically discharged. Good morning. I think we should check out the barn today. Lexi was talking about the horses last night, and now I want to see them. Paige's bubbly voice cuts across my thoughts. Go away, I tell her, not taking my eyes from the window in front of me. What? She asks in shock. I said, go away. There are no sounds, no footsteps, so I turn to make sure she's gone, only to find her still standing just inside the door. I let out a sigh. Not until you tell me why, I think I deserve that much at least. The military discharged me. It was my life. It was the only family I had left, and now it's gone. So what am I supposed to do? That's easy. Now you can do anything. Go to Tennessee and go back to school. Get a civilian job at the military base or use your skills to teach. Your future is wide open. No, it's not. My future is over. They took everything from me. My life, my family, I have nothing left. You have me, Paige says softly. I know she wants me to say something, but there's nothing to say. When she realizes I'm right, will she leave too? No woman wants to be strapped to a guy with no future. Wow, really? She gives a bitter laugh. Just go home, I tell her again. This time, my words are followed by footsteps and the slamming of the door. I'm awake all night. All I can think about are Paige's words. By morning, there's only one thing I know for sure. Paige was right. I get up, skipping breakfast, and head to Lexi and Noah's to apologize. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I should never have taken this out on her. On the walk next door, I think about what I want to say to her, but I'm no closer to figuring it out by the time I get there. Falling to my knees and begging for her forgiveness isn't out of the question. I knock on the door 
and wait. Noah opens it, looking puzzled. I'm sure he and Lexi have heard all about my blow-up. Can I talk to Paige? She's not here. She went home. Home? I ask in shock. Back to Nashville. She says you told her to. I did say go home, didn't I? Of course I meant here, not Nashville. But I wasn't thinking. Well, I've got to go after her, I say, trying to formulate a plan. Mason, man, come in and sit down for a minute. Noah opens the door wider, and I follow him in, sitting on the couch. Noah takes a seat in the chair opposite. You need to stay and finish your treatment. Give her time to cool off. He's right, Lexi says as she walks into the room. If you go now when she's angry, you won't get through to her. Give her time to miss you. I know she's right, but I can't stand that we are so far apart right now. You need to figure out your next steps and show her you're serious. Going up there without a plan will only give her a reason to say you haven't changed, Noah advises. Actions speak louder than words. My mom's voice fills my head. How many times did she drill that into my head? Like my dad, I had to learn the hard way. Chapter 7 Page. It's been a few weeks since I returned from Georgia. I gave myself a few days to wallow, and then I threw myself into getting ready for school, with the help of my roommate. Today was the first day of school, and I'm still missing Mason like crazy, but I'm happy to have a new routine and school to keep me busy. Focusing on school keeps my mind off him, but not for long. He fills my head at every opportunity. I miss our letters and cuddling on the couch watching TV, but most of all, I miss how safe I feel with him. His job was to protect people, and he's good at it, so I know nothing can touch me when I'm with him. It doesn't hurt that he's big and sexy and can be intimidating. As I walk into my apartment, I'm on autopilot. I set my bag down, so caught up in my thoughts that I don't notice anyone else in the apartment until someone stands up from the couch. I let out a small yelp until I see who it is. Mason. Great, now I'm seeing things. I'm losing my damn mind. Your roommate let me in, he says as he shoves his hands into his pockets, looking nervous. Mason is standing in my living room. Holy shit. She's such a traitor, I say under my breath. My roommate knows exactly what happened between Mason and me because I told her everything. He hears me and smiles. I came here to tell you that you were right. He takes a step toward me, then stops. Well, that's something every woman loves to hear, I quip. I had to finish my treatment at Oakside. That's why I didn't come after you right away. I want you to know I tried, but Noah stopped me. I watch him, but don't say anything, because the moment I do, I'll start crying, and I refuse to cry right now. The relief at knowing he wanted to come after me and that he wasn't happy I left is almost too much. I got a job as a bodyguard to a band here in Nashville, Highway 55. I know how much you like them. My mouth drops open. Are you kidding me? Highway 55 is my favorite band. Landon and Dallas are hotter than words can describe. I've heard that they're good people too, even if they're playboys. Nope, not kidding. I was shocked when they offered me the job. I won't be on tour with them, which means I'll be around. They have a company for when they tour, so no travel, but I'll be in charge of their house and security when they're at home. I told them about you, and they want to do dinner next time Landon's sister, Austin, is in town. At this point, I have to sit down. This is not how I thought my day would go when I woke up this morning. Mason, in my apartment? Dinner with my favorite band? But as the shock wears off, I'm aware he hasn't said anything about us. When I look up, he's studying me as if he can read my mind before I even speak my thoughts. Let me take you out to dinner. We can talk about us, the job, anything you want. Okay. I have to get some schoolwork done first. I look over at my bag. Dress nice. I've got good reservations courtesy of the band. I'll pick you up at six, he says heading toward the door. He stops to place a kiss on my cheek before leaving. 
There's no way I can concentrate on schoolwork once Mason walks out the door. I spend the rest of the afternoon getting ready for our date, trying on every outfit I own. I take a shower, shaving everything and staying under the spray until the water turns cold. I take my time with my hair and makeup, even painting my nails. But I'm still ready half an hour early. I try to watch TV, but I can't concentrate. When the doorbell rings, I jump out of my skin. Who the heck is here and how fast can I get rid of them? I'm shocked when I open the door and see Mason there, looking a little shy and holding the most beautiful bouquet of roses I've ever seen. I'm sorry I'm early, but I couldn't wait to see you again. I'm happy to wait if you need more time. But you look stunning, he says as his eyes cover every inch of my body. Come in, I'm ready. Let me get these in water. I find a vase for the flowers, trying to calm my nerves before putting on my shoes and following him out to his car. This is our first official date, and I can't remember the last time I was this nervous about anything. Mason takes me to a fancy restaurant and pulls out all the stops, helping me out of the car, holding the restaurant door for me, and pulling out my chair. Not once does he check his phone or pay attention to anyone or anything but me. Once we order our food, he reaches across the table and takes my hands in his. I'm so sorry for the way I acted that day at Oakside. I wasn't in a good headspace, and I took it out on you. I should never have done that. I went to Lexi and Noah's the following morning to apologize to you, but you were already gone. I left that night. I reply, my voice barely above a whisper. You needed space, and if I'd stayed, I knew I wouldn't have given it to you. That day, at that moment, yeah, I needed space. But I never meant to drive you away. I'm learning how to deal. I can't promise I won't mess up again. But I can promise I'll always want you there, at my side, because I'm head over heels in love with you. Mason's gaze is fixed on mine as he says the last part. I sit there, shocked, eyes wide, I'm lost for words until the strong, brave man in front of me looks unsure and starts to pull his hands back. I tighten my grip on them to get his eyes back on me. I love you too. It's just, it's the last thing I expected at dinner tonight. Well, I have a few more surprises up my sleeve. He chuckles as our appetizer arrives. We catch up on everything we've missed, how he finished up at Oakside, my first day of school, and his new job. When dessert comes, he gets fidgety. I place my hand on his, not sure what's wrong. You okay? He smiles and stands up, stepping over to my chair. Assuming he wants to go, I get ready to stand. But when he drops to one knee in front of me, my gasp isn't the only one in the room. He pulls out a ring and looks up at me. We may not have had the most conventional start, and one we'll never tell our kids about, <laughs> but you made a brave step that changed both our lives that morning. You gave me that first letter. I fell in love with you a little more with every letter, every email. I want to spend the rest of my life with you by my side, helping you reach your dreams, because you are my dream. Will you marry me? Yes! <laughs> I launch myself into his arms and the entire room, which was hanging on his every word, erupts into cheers. Mason's lips on mine drown out all the noise and it's just the two of us. The kiss is too short, too soft, too sweet. As he pulls his lips from mine, he slips the ring on my finger and places a kiss on it before helping me back into my seat. Let's get dessert to go, I say, wanting to get him alone. You read my mind. Epilogue Mason I couldn't wait to make Paige my wife, so we were married over her spring break. Now I stand here at her graduation as her husband, and I couldn't be prouder. My job with the band is a dream. They moved me up to head of security for their home here in Nashville, since they're on tour right now, my job is minimal and allows me to enjoy my girl's summer break with her. Paige got a job offer here in Nashville last week. It won't start until the end of the summer, so we have plenty of time alone together. We recently bought a house, and she plans to redecorate it. 
When I told her to make sure it included a nursery, I thought she would faint then and there. That led to a conversation about us waiting at least a year before having kids. That way she can get settled into her job, and if that's what she wants, then that's what she gets. It makes sense anyway. The band is looking to transition from touring to creating their own record label here next year, which means setting up extra security for them. It's the perfect job. They like to hire guys from Oakside as often as they can. It makes me happy that we can help other ex-military men and women. After winning some money from a legal battle with their former manager, the band made a huge donation to Oakside. How does it feel to be done with school? I ask Paige when she joins me after talking with her friends and taking photos with her parents. I can't believe it. This last year has been a whirlwind in the best possible way. She leans in and kisses me. How much longer before I can whisk you away? I said my goodbyes, so I'm all yours for the night, my husband. I practically drag her to the car. Hearing her call me husband does it to me every time. That kind of claim on her lips is such a damn turn-on. Under her robes, she's wearing the same dress I saw her in the night we first met. Seeing her in it now as she sits in the passenger seat of my truck is just as hot as that night. Spread your legs, baby. I reach over and run my hand up her thigh while we're stopped at a red light. I keep my hand there once the light turns green, playing with her soaked panties, but never quite touching her where she wants me. Mason, she moans as we turn onto our street. I remove my hand, leaving her wanting more. I love that look on you, hot and bothered and needing me. Now I want you naked and in the hot tub. I think it's time we explore our backyard. I've taken her on every surface in our house, and now I plan to take her every possible way outside. Life doesn't get better than this. This has been Saving Mason by Casey Rose. Read for you by Molly Stark. Welcome back. Hey. Thank you so much, Casey Rose, for giving us Saving Mason. We loved it. It's awesome. If you love this, you're going to love all her stuff. Go deep dive into her Amazon page. And like I said, check her out. She's on all platforms, too. So make sure you check her out, like all her wide stuff as well. And next week, it's so exciting. We have Danny Wyatt with us. It's going to be so fun. I know. I'm so excited to finally have her with us. I think this is like a long time coming. Like, why has it been this long? I don't know how we've, I don't know how it's taken so long to have her on here with us. But yeah, so Danny Wyatt's coming up next week. She's got a book called Two Wrongs. So it should be super fun. So yeah, that's it. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance, read, read me romance, read me romance, read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine, or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read me romance, read, read me romance.